Thank you, Greg, and those that lead us in worship. Thank you so much for men, for taking up the offering, and for you being here this morning. Hope you have a Bible with you, something you can turn on, or something that you can preferably open up. And if you would, join me in the third chapter of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3. We have been walking together through the book of Jonah together on Sunday mornings, and so we finished there in the book of Jonah last Sunday. And so before we move on to the next um, area, the next book that we're going to walk line by line, word through word from, I want to take a pit stop here in Proverbs chapter 3. One of the beautiful things to me of having a daily time that I spend with the Lord is that there's times in that time of reading that there's things that stick out to you, things that strike you, things that you may not have seen before that God shows depending on where you're at in your stage of life and what is going on around you. Just this last week, I am in the book of Proverbs, um, through um, partly in the book of Proverbs through my daily time in the Lord, and this was a passage that came upon that I just kind of spent some time with it, kind of dwelt on it, chewed on it for a while. And it's something that I wanted to uh, just, uh, I wanted to bring you into this morning. So it may seem like it's a little bit different in some of my presentation, but this is just kind of the idea of you coming in to my quiet time in the mornings, early in the mornings when I'm sitting there with the word of the Lord and I am sitting there with a cup of coffee and I'm just saying, okay, God, here I am submitting myself to you, looking at your word for your word to instruct and your word to teach me. So Proverbs chapter Three. If you look at the first 12 verses of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 down through verse 12, a lot of people will divide them up in what they call couplets. A couplets is just simply a collection. You have verse 1 and verse 2, and then you have verse 3, and you have verse 4, and then you have verse 5, and then you have verse 6, and on through there. So it kind of pairs them as the writer is writing. He was kind of dividing them up, if you will, into couplets. And so one of the popular couplets that you will think about when it comes to Proverbs chapter 3 is verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Or somebody may have been aware of grown up teaching the idea of a verse 9 and verse 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So these couplets, as so many times when we think about Scripture, we approach Scripture, we come to it in the way of these couplets. Well, here in Proverbs chapter 3, this morning, I want us to spend some time and just focus in on one of these couplets, specifically the one that we're going to see in verse 7 and verse 8. You see, sometimes when you hear people quote Scripture, they will quote Scripture, and the Scripture is good, and the Scripture is true, and the Scripture is right, but sometimes they can stop short of the full the, the full blessing that you see in Scripture. Let me give you an example. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is both true and that is both right. But so many times we leave off verse 24. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Romans 3.23 gives us the bad news. Romans 3.24 shows us the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. And sometimes if all you get is the bad and you don't hear the good, then we wonder why people think of the church as being a place where all the doubt, the don'ts and the shout nots and all the bad things that come because we stop short of the blessings that we see Scripture. When you get into Roman, or sorry, when you get into Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six, it talks about us trusting God, and all those things are true, and all those things are right. But if you're like me, I find myself saying, well, "Okay, well that's what He tells me I'm supposed to do," but He really didn't tell me how I'm supposed to do it. 
He says, trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make, your straight, he'll make straight your paths. Well, that is great, except for he didn't tell me how to do it. And so then I'm left here going. I have a, a, a mandate, if you will. I have a command, if you will, but I don't know how to do it. Get to Proverbs chapter three and verse seven. And the writer of Proverbs gives us the instructions on how to do it. Right now, you and I are living in a time of turmoil. We're living in a time of chaos. Right now, we have so many sources of information. We have so many sources of news. If you don't like what Channel 4 is saying, you can just turn on Channel 5, and they'll tell you something different. If you don't like what Channel 5 is saying, you can turn on Channel 9, and they'll tell you something different. If you don't like CNN, you can go to MSNBC. If you don't like MSNBC, you can go to Fox News. If you don't like Fox News, you can go to another channel. And you can always find someone that will say what you want to hear and will agree with what you want to think. And now, with the Internet, if you want to believe that birds are not real and birds are actually mechanical drones deployed by the government to survey to sur- to practice surveillance upon you you can go to a website that will tell you why how and to make you believe that birds are not real anywhere you and I can find something to agree with what we want to believe and we're living in a day and age that people are wondering, should we be concerned about monkeypox? Is, is COVID over? What are we going to do politically? What is going to happen over in the Ukraine? All of these things are happening, and yet the Word of God tells you and I, as a church and as believers, to have peace with one another, to have a certain type of contentment, have a calm, quiet spirit, and to not be worried and caught up with all of the turmoil going on, but have hope in the Lord. And it's easy for us to say that, but I wonder how many of us sitting here this morning watching me via the screen, listening to me on the ear pods, I wonder how many people say, well, preacher, Spence, it's easy for you to tell me how to have hope in the Lord, but the problem is, is you don't know the kind of life I'm living. Here in Proverbs chapter 3, I submit to you that the writer of Proverbs gives us instructions on how to have hope in the midst of of a hopeless world. In the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of the conflict, in the midst of all the struggles, in the midst of all the busyness, in the midst of the sickness, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the sorrow, in the midst of the personality differences, in the midst of school starting back, in the midst of our economy, in the midst of our health crisis, in the midst of all of these things, how do we have hope in the Lord? Well, here in Proverbs chapter three and in verse seven, and then he's gonna touch in the verse eight, but especially in chapter seven, verse seven of chapter three, he's gonna give us, this is how you, find hope. And he's going to label it in three different ways there in verse 7. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in 4-H. And in 4-H, you have a four-leaf clover. And on that four-leaf clover, the reason why they call it 4-H is because you have four letter H's on each of the four-leaf clovers. And all of the H's stand for something individually. The one H stands for head, heart, hand, and health, and so the 4-H had to do with the pledge and all the uh, the the, the uh, curriculum, I guess, or the motto. The model of that had to do with the hand, or the sorry, the head, the heart, the hand, and the health. So this morning, kind of borrowing from that, an homage, a little bit to that, and we're going to talk about these instructions in the sense of your head, your heart, and your hands. So if you look there in verse seven of Proverbs chapter three, listen to what the writer of Proverbs says. 
Let me just read to you verse 7 and verse 8, and let's go back and look at this together. He says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So in verse 7, he gives us three instructions on how to find hope, how to possess hope, how to demonstrate hope to a watching world. And then in verse 8, he tells us what the benefit is when we follow this prescription that the writer of Proverbs gives us. And the first way that we find hope in this world has to do with your head. If you look at the first phrase there in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 7, he writes, be not wise in your own eyes. He's telling you that finding hope in this world and finding contentment in this world and finding peace in this world and manifesting this hope in your world, it starts in your head. That's why he says, be not wise in your own eyes. He's understanding that there is all of this thought today that you and I have the best ideas. You and I have the best information. We know what is good for us. We know what is right and wrong. We think that we are the answer. That is where so many of the false religions come from. This self-actualization, that's what's part of the problem with most of your modern psychology is because you are the answer to you. It's the self-actualization that you can discover your own purpose. You can discover your own answers. You can discover what you need for you. But here in this proverb, he says, be not wise in your own eyes. See what the Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs understands is that pride and humility do not share. You can't say that you're a humble person if you're also a prideful person. Person. And it's one of those things that we need to come, when it, especially when it comes to the Word of God, and recognize I do not know everything and I do not have all the answers and there is still a lot of room for me to grow. And I understand that it's not a matter of me knowing what is best, me knowing what I should do, or even me knowing what you should do. It'd be so easier, it'd be so much easier if I could just get up and tell you, do it like me. If all y'all would just act like me and talk like me and be like me, then oh boy, we could just have it so much easier. The problem is, is me is not infallible. And me is not perfect. And me is prone to mistakes. And me is not Jesus. And me is not the type that you should aspire to. Me is not as wise as me thinks. <laughs> I know my children would say that is, exactly, that is exactly true dad. But he tells us right there in verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Because he understands that part of the matter of pride, part of the matter of hopelessness starts in our head where we start to think that we know the answers, we have the solutions, we know what is best for us, and we stop looking to God. We stop turning to the word of the Lord. So he says this first instruction has to do with your head. In your head, who is it that you're seeking as the source of your information. See, knowledge is only as good as its source. Sometimes we conflate the idea of knowledge with information or knowledge with facts or knowledge with reports, knowledge with stories. Sometimes we assume that all knowledge is credible. Not all knowledge is true. Not all knowledge it contains facts. And sometimes we miss, we, we mangle up those definitions of what all that thing looks like. The reality is, is we are not to pursue after knowledge as it's in, but we're to pursue after wisdom. And not my wisdom and not your wisdom, but for God's wisdom. Amen. For God's truth. Well, how am I going to know what God's truth is? He wrote it down for us. How am I going to know what God's truth means? You study it. You learn it. You 
Spend time with it. How do I know how God's truth then applies to my life? You and I spend time, we study, we understand, we, we dig down into it, and then we ask the Holy Spirit to apply it to our lives and show it how it means for us today. You and I are all doing that in the time of saying, I want to know God's wisdom more than man's wisdom. I was already planning on using this, Charles, before you brought it up this morning. But I work with this man, and he listens to sports radio. And I'll get in the truck after he's been in the truck, and he'll be on sports radio, the sports in the mood or whatever they call it these days. And I find myself, I'll get in there, and I think, I don't get it. Now, I'm not trying to, I'm, Charles Davis was talking about, he, he, he listens to it as well. I, I, don't, I just don't get it. I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I'm not trying to be demeaning. I'm not trying to be uh, snide about it. I just don't get the draw of listening to another man that doesn't play sports talk about people that do play sports. Or listening to one person try to think, try to say what they think that person was thinking. I just, it's, it just doesn't connect with me. And you know, sometimes people do that when it comes to the church. We're not going to look at God's word for ourselves. We're just going to do what the preacher says to do, and that means this can be sufficient. We're listening to someone else tell us about what someone else says, and we're going to use that as applicable for our lives. Or we're going to say, well, if the church says it or tradition says it or my mama says it or my grandma says it, that will be sufficient and I'm going to go off of that. And we're letting them be the source of knowledge instead of God's word being the source of knowledge. And so the first way that this writer here in Proverbs says, if you're going to find hope, it's going to start with understanding the hope is not in you. And the hope is not in your mama. Your hope is not in your grandma. The hope is not in the preacher. The hope is not in the church. The hope is only in Jesus Christ. Christ. So he says, be not wise in your own eyes. So he's going to talk about your head. And then he's going to talk about the heart. Second phrase there in verse seven, fear the Lord. I've told you before, and I'm going to tell you again, because I haven't got this figured out yet. We minimize, we minimize this way too much in the church today, what it means to fear the Lord. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Sometimes we try to delineate it between fear as far as any physical fear or fears and a holy spiritual fear. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, and I'm not trying to be judgmental, I'm just going to go out on a limb and to say that at the end of the day, none of us fear the Lord like we should in this room. You go to Isaiah chapter 6 and when God shows up and his presence is in the temple. Isaiah says, woe is me. He falls down in abstract, prostrating himself before the Lord because he felt not worthy to be in the presence of God. When Peter is sitting there and he's fishing and he catches the big catch and he realizes that guy named Jesus is actually the Messiah. It's actually God's son. What does it say? It says Peter fell down at his knees at the feet of Jesus and said, get away from me because I'm, I'm, I'm not a good person. Revelation chapter one, when John is on the island of Patmos and the glory of the Lord, Jesus Christ showed up. What does it say in verse 17 of chapter one? Hey, I fell at my feet on my face before the Lord. And yet you and I can come into what we believe to be the presence of God and we can be nonchalant and we can be flippant. And he says there's a second piece. There's a second piece of the condition of your heart. You see, I put this there in your notes. Fear is a given. You and I are going to be scared of something. You and I are going to fear something, whether we fear man or we fear 
God. Fear is a given. Focus is not. With a focus of that fear, what we choose to fear, that is not always determined. That's why he says there in verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. He's making sure that you understand that not only are you not the smartest person in the room, not only do you need to seek God's wisdom above your wisdom, but you need to understand to get this in its proper order, you need to fear God more than anything else. Down there at Turner Falls, there's this zip line. <laughs> it's called the 777 zip line. This thing's like 2,000 feet up in the air, probably goes like 4,000 feet long. It's a zip line. It goes from one side of the gorge there at Turner Falls, go from the lookout position over to a kind of a pole that's stuck over there, and, you, and, and they pull you up backwards, and I think it's something like 80 feet, 125 feet, something like that. They pull you back up there. You're probably 75 feet in the air, and then you slide back down. This is a big zip line. So we had the kids, and we had my grandparents, and we had my in-laws, father and mother, father and mother-in-law, and, we, and then they decide, we're going to do this 777 zip line. Well, I don't do heights. I don't do heights because I land harder than some of you land. And I feel like gravity is there for a reason. God created gravity, and I'm, I'm good with that. So I really don't do the heights things. And so the way it was going to work out, it was going to be great. You were going to have Jaylene and a boy. You were going to have my father-in-law and a boy. And you were going to have my mother-in-law and a boy. So the three boys, all three, were going to ride with them. You had adults. And I'm like, sweet, this gets me out of the picture altogether. I am in the clear. And so paid the money. Man, I'll pay for it if you guys will ride it. And then I get to watch you all go back there and do some crazy stuff riding this zip line. Because when you get in this, in this contraption, you don't have anything to keep you from falling forward. You don't have anything to keep you from falling inside, you got this little seatbelt. Well, mama and the boy goes, mother-in-law and the boy goes, father-in-law and Wyatt are getting ready to go, and father-in-law backs out. And Wyatt looks at me. There's always one. Wyatt looks at me and says, Dad, you're not scared to go, are you? You know what the answer to that question was? Yeah, 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 I am. I sure am. I sure am. Absolutely. There is no way. And I saw they went up there and then what they do is they pull them back and then it's like they stop and then like they go forward about a foot and then you like you sit there and wait almost like the cliffhanger at Six Flags where you're sitting there waiting for your death and it's like you pull you back and all of a sudden they let you go and you're like, boom, and then you start going really fast and you're coming into the home base and you're like, we're not going to make it. This thing is going to slow down in time. And all of a sudden they stop you at the last minute. I mean, it was just, No. But why I can tell you, we wrote it. Because my fear of looking like a sissy in front of my boy <laughs> was greater than my fear of falling to my death. So it wasn't a matter of the fear. See, the fear was a given. It's a matter of the object of the fear. And right now in this world, we are being conditioned and we are being programmed to say that you need to fear the people around you. You need to fear a sickness. You need to fear a political party. You need to fear a social agenda. You need to fear a lack of money. You need to fear people's opinion. You need to fear public perception. You need to fear all of these things. And the writer of Proverbs says, you know what? Those things you might be fearful of, but make sure you start with your fear of the Lord because your fear of God is what forms 
forms your faith in God. Your fear forms your faith. If you don't have fear of God, then why do you even have faith in God? If I don't have fear that God will one day judge me, and if I am not found in his son, Jesus Christ, and my sins have not been forgiven, and I do not have any chance of going to hell because there is no such thing as hell, and if I have no fear, then why would I trust and believe in Jesus Christ? Fear forms faith. So sometimes we need to ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, what are you scared of? We've asked the question out of Jonah in the last few weeks, what are you mad about? This question needs to be, what are you scared of? The things that we act like in the church isn't what we should be acting like when he, if we have our faith in its proper place. And so the, the word of God comes in and says, make sure that when you come to your hope, when it comes to your lifestyle, when it comes to how do you live out this trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it starts in your head. It goes to your heart. And then thirdly, it goes to your hands. That's why he says there in verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. So it's a component, not just what goes on to your head, not just what goes on in your heart, but also what goes on with your hands. So he says there at the last part of verse 7, and turn away from evil. There's an action that he is expecting. There is something that he is expecting us to do. If he tells you what it looks like to seek the wisdom of God, and he tells you what it looks like to have your fear in its proper place, then at some point there's this expectation that you are going to do something with it. In our home, the boys have a list of chores. And when they get up in the morning, they can identify, these are the chores that I have to do today. And you know what? Much to their, much to their chagrin, their mother and father actually expect them to do them. Not just know that's my chore. Not to just say, well, I mean to do that chore. I ought to do that chore. Or I should try to do that chore. Or maybe I should think about doing that chore. Or maybe I should pray about doing that chore. Oh, no, 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 no. There's this expectation that their mother and father says, we've already prayed about it for you. You're going to do this chore. There's this expectation of action. Well, how many times do we come to the word of God and the word of God says, trust in the Lord? Well, I don't know. I, I just, no, no, trust in the Lord. Turn away from sin. One verse that just caught me this week is Romans chapter six and verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought, to, brought from death to life. And your instruments to God, or your body to God, as instruments for righteousness. At the very first part, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at this verse, and I'm like, how much do we let sin take root and build comfortable, put up shades, make a home in our lives? Because we say it's a little sin. We'd say it's an insignificant sin. We say it's a white sin. So he says there that there's this idea of your hands. You will turn away from evil. Well, how do we define what is evil? Well, God defines what is evil. 
What does turning away mean? Turning away means that there's, a, there's a repentance. There's a, there's a change in your direction. There is something different that you do. The reality is, is so many times, I put this in your notes, we follow what we believe. You follow what you believe. If you believe that it's good for you, then that's what you're gonna do. If you believe that it's dangerous to your spirit, you won't do it. But the reality is, is so many times we have so many Christians thinking because I can tell myself what to believe and I tell myself what is true and I tell myself what is right and I have unhinged myself from the doctrine of the word of God, then I can then tell myself what to believe and I can follow what I believe. So we want to know where heresy comes from? People that started to believe things that God didn't say. We want to know where people get off the tracks religiously? It's because people began to believe things that weren't biblical. You want to know where people get off the tracks in morality? <clears throat> Or as our culture right now with identity, you wanna know where we got off the rail on that things? Because we have stopped believing that what's God's word is still true, God's word is still relevant, and God's word still is sufficient. We start to think, well yes, God said that 2,000 years ago, but he didn't mean that today. Oh, I'm gonna tell you, brothers and sisters, if God said it 2,000 years ago, God still means it today. And there are some things that we wanna take away, some things we wanna devise so that we can follow what we want to believe. And not only that, but we do what we trust. And that's really what it comes down to. If you come on the heels of verse five and verse six, he's talking about this trusting in the Lord. He's talking about following the Lord. And he's saying, you know what? If you will get your head right, if you will get your heart right, heart right, and you will get your hands right, then you will follow what we trust. If you trust in the word of the Lord and you trust in the, the provision and the providence of God, if you trust in the things that God tells you to do, then that is what you are going to do. Unfortunately, too many of us spend more time listening to what the world has to say for our lives and listening to what God has to say for our lives. And too many of us are more comfortable with following this world than following the word of God. So he says, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Spence, how is it that I live this faithful Christian life? You fear God more than you fear others. Spence, how it is that I follow God supremely? How is it that I follow God truly? How is it I follow God sincerely? You trust in the Lord. You follow the Lord. You do not think that it's your ideas or your ways or your methodologies. You understand that it's all about God speaking in and through your life. And then you get down to verse eight and he gives us the benefit. He talks about the benefit. So you wanna know why you wanna do this and you wanna know why you should do this because there's a benefit. Not a name and a claim it, not one of those things. Well, you know what? If you just show up for church three Sundays in a row, you won't get a flat tire. God's given you a promise. So one of those things that I declare that, you know what, God, I'm gonna own this and I'm gonna claim this and I'm gonna name this and you're gonna give this to me. Or one of those things, you got a sick family member, you know, if you just pray hard enough, God will heal your sick family member. That is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that there is blessings in obedience. And there's benefits. There's benefits being right in the middle of where God wants you to be. So what does he say there in verse 8 of chapter 3? He says, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now, what is he talking about there? Is he actually talking about a healing? Is he actually talking about a, a name it and a claim it? No, what I think he's talking about is our source of hope. 
He is saying that there is a benefit when you start to follow the instructions that God has given us. There's a benefit when you and I seek God above all else. Our source of hope changes. No longer is my source of hope in pharmaceuticals. No longer is my source of hope in a political party. No longer is my source of hope in green paper. No longer is my source of hope in a fickle relationship. No longer is my source of hope in my ability, my knowledge, or my, 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 my wisdom in this world. No longer is that my source of hope. My source of hope is in God. So what does he say? Verse 8, it will be healing to your flesh. What will be healing to your flesh, Spence? What will be healing? What will be healing is, is your life before God. The word of God, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. What? The word of God, the effect of the word of God, the impact of the word of God, the influence of the word of God. What will it do? It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. In other words, he's saying that faithfulness is good medicine. It's not the fact that it'll heal everything that ails you. It's not the fact that you'll get up and you won't have any more arthritis. You won't crack. You won't creak. It doesn't matter that you still won't have problems with your kids. What he's saying is, is when you and I get faithful to God, our life becomes much more simpler. You see, when you're trying to do the church thing and you're trying to do the world thing, and you're trying to keep the two in tangent and you're trying to live that duplicit life. And so you come to church and you act all this way and then you go to the world and you act all this way. And then when you get over to the church, you gotta realize, oh, I can't talk like that. I can't be like that because I've gotta put on this facade and I've gotta put on this persona. And then you go over to the world and you're like, well, I can't talk about that because they won't think that's cool. And they will shun me and they'll wonder what happened to me. And so you're keeping these two facades up or you find yourself getting out on a Saturday night and you're staying out and you're closing down the establishments, you're closing down the places and you're dragging in on Sunday morning going, I'm tired. We'll go to sleep early on a Saturday night. No one said you had to stay up. There isn't a mandate in the Bible that says you have to be up late on a Saturday night. God gave you rest for a reason. Go and get some rest. And the idea that he tells us is when we are being faithful to God, it's like medicine to our bones. It's like medicine to our flesh. That's fact. That's what the world's, the word right there, it will be healing. The word there in original language is this idea of medicine. It will not necessarily have a physically, not like you will heal a cut on your arm or a ulcer in your stomach, but the idea that when you get right where God wants you to be and you, and you rest in the word of God and you soak in the word of God and you, you, you ingest the word of God, all these things come through. It's like sweet medicine in your soul. And yet you and I spend most of our times tied up in knots with conflict. I sat there at that school board meeting Monday night. Very little peace in that room. People tied up, aggravated, flustered, pointing fingers. Most of it, most of it was being said out of ignorance. I sat there Thursday night with some of the people from this church. And they were saying, well, preacher, have you seen the stuff that's been going on on social media? Nope. Because I don't do fake book. I don't do fake book, so I ain't got to sit there and listen to it. I don't, I don't mess with it. I, I don't deal with it. I've got enough conflict going on and my five precious sinners in the house. I don't need more. I got enough problems going on just trying to be the husband that Jaylene deserves. I don't need more conflict. I don't need more problems. I got enough going on. And yet, so many times, we like to feed off of the turmoil. We like to feed off the conflict. It's like we feed off of the unrest. And God says, put it all away. Look at me. Trust in me. Get quiet before me and listen to how your heart calms down. 
Meditation, it's not a new thing. Zen, it's not a new thing. The apostles, Jesus was practicing that long, long before those heretical Buddha, Buddha, Buddha people came along and tried to come up with something new. This has been all along. When God said he rested on the seventh day from creating the world and all that we know, he rested. It's this idea that we find that faithfulness, we find that scriptural medicine, we find that spiritual medicine when we just trust in God and stop trusting in ourselves. So he says, this is your source of hope. Faithfulness is good medicine and God is faithful. That's why he says there in verse eight, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bone. It's the idea that these things will come and they will encourage you. They will strengthen you up. They, they, they will help bind up. They will be one of those things. They will provide you the strength, the patience, the perseverance, to keep on going. He is saying that when you and I get where God wants us to be, we will have this benefit, this blessing, if you will, that our hope is not built upon man, but our hope is built upon the word of God. So if you find yourself today in a position where you're feeling hopeless, you're feeling directionless, you're feeling in the center of conflict, you're feeling you're finding yourself in the center of turmoil and all of these pressures that are going on around you. It's like the Prider of Proverbs says, you know what you do? You get desperate for God's word in your life. You put your fear of God before your fear of man and you turn from your ways and you turn to the ways of God. So what's some good news? You see there in your notes in the back of that bulletin, what is some good news? We think about what he's saying here in this couplet of verse seven and verse eight, but then how is this good news for you and I in our lives today? Well, the first thing that I would remind you is that God's word is sufficient. God's word is sufficient. Sufficient for what, Spence? God's word is sufficient. You fill in the blank. You mean God's word is sufficient for my relationship and my marriage? Yes. You think God's word is sufficient for my relationship and my children? Yes. You think that God's word is sufficient for my vocation? Yes. You think that God's word is sufficient for the sickness, for the virus, for the political turmoil, for all the government unrest? You think that God's word is sufficient for our day to day? Yes, 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 yes. You think that God's word is sufficient for the problems that we have in the church and in this world? I do. You think that God's word is sufficient for every problem, every struggle, every question that we have in this life? I do. Why? Because the Bible says so. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training. That the man of God may be complete, 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 Equipped for every good work. What does that verse say? That verse says that all of scripture is sufficient for my life so that I may be the complete man that God has created me to be. Not the almost complete, not the halfway complete, but the complete, which means that God's word is sufficient for what I need to live a faithful Christian life. Now, is God's word sufficient for doing what I want to do in a sinful nature and a rebellious attitude? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is God's word is sufficient for every question I have when it comes to faithfulness and 
him. God's word is sufficient. And not just that, but God's instruction is relevant. What God's word says in his word is relevant. We are facing a day, uh, facing a time today when Bible teachers, so-called Bible teachers will come to the word of God and say, well, you know what? That word isn't necessary today. The Old Testament isn't relevant for today. You can, you can take these things, chalk these things up. You do not need that because that is not relevant. It, it was written to them back then and is not applicable today. I would say, because God's word is not only sufficient, but God's word is relevant. You may say, Spence, you mean the Old Testament is still relevant to my life? Yes, I do think it's still relevant to your life. How can you prove that? You come on Wednesday nights. And we'll sit there and I'll walk you through book by book by book what I see and what I understand as being the relevancy of God's word to our lives today. Do you believe that every word is relevant for my life? Yes, I do. Because every word in the word of God not only shows who God is, but it also shows who I am in the eyes of God. Every word of God is showing God to us and us to us. I understand you get in Leviticus and you're like, well, that has nothing to do with what I'm supposed to do today. No, but it shows our need for holiness. And it shows without Jesus Christ how desperate we would be for a substitute, how desperate we would be for us. You're going to get me off on attention. It shows us our need for a savior because it's relevant. So not only is God's word sufficient, but God's word is relevant. And that's what Proverbs chapter three is saying. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the word of God. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. Why? Because this is what the word of God does to you. Not only is sufficient, it is relevant. But then this last one, hope is given. When you come to the word of God, you see this hope that I have. My hope is not in myself. My hope is not in you. My hope is not in a denomination. My hope is not in a tradition. My hope is not in a family background. My hope is not in a demographic. My hope is not in a zip code. My hope is not in money. My hope is in God and God shows shows me him through his word. That's why. That's why. You and I could do a lot of things with our time on this earth. And if we do not seek God in his word, we're wasting our time. So how is it that we live out God's instruction to our lives? He tells us. We trust in the Lord. Lean on in your understanding. Well, that's great, but then how do I do that? Well, how do you do that? You get the hope of God in your head. You get the hope of God in your heart. And you get the hope of God in your hands. You fear the Lord. You turn away from evil. You practice the instructions that God has given us. Because you realize that following God's instructions is what leads us in closer connection to God.